Welcome to the Trinity Western University Chapel podcast. It is our prayer that these chapel talks would bless your heart and they would draw you closer to our Lord. We offer them to the glory of God and for the good of the world. Okay, well, if you were here on uh, Monday, there's just one thing that I need to say to you before jumping into the message and the text for today. And the answer is yes, I did. Marry her. <laughs> so apparently there was, I left that little bit off. I didn't intend to leave a cliffhanger, but there you are. Um, and if this story is confusing to you or what, why I'm saying this, you have to talk to somebody who was there because I can't possibly repeat it today. But as you know, we're looking at the cloud of witnesses or the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and evaluating them and evaluating our own faith as we look at the backstory um, that gives rise to the estimation of their faith. So what I'd like to do today, we're looking at Abel once again, is read from Genesis chapter 4, and then we're going to jump to Hebrews chapter 11. So I invite you to listen to God's word from Genesis 4. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad and Irad was the father of Mahuhael and Mahuhael was the father of Methushael and Methushael was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Naama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech is avenged 77 times. The word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Although I want to read from Hebrews for you again, though we read it last time. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commanded as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. And that's where we're gonna focus this morning. Abel, through faith, though dead, still speaks. That's where I'd like to focus us in on this morning. So, I don't know if you have observed, like I do, that we human beings like to think about ourselves as radically different from the animals, right? You don't normally think about how much you are like the animals. Don't really love that thought. But when it comes to our basic drives and our appetites and our hunger, we are more like the animals than we are unlike the animals. Because just think about the appetites of the animal, the hunger, and your hungers. In both cases, we hunger for food, we hunger for shelter, we hunger for safety, we hunger for security, we hunger for sex, we hunger perhaps for power. In so many ways, we are just like the animals. But then there is one unbelievably significant way in which we are unlike the animals, and it's a way that I find positively mysterious. It is that we, in addition to all those other hungers, have another hunger, and that is we hunger for significance. We want our lives to matter. We want our lives to leave a mark. We want to be a somebody. We want to be recognized by other people to have lived a meaningful life and maybe even to have lived such a significant life that it extends beyond our own physical existence to leave a legacy behind. That our life, even when we are dead, will still speak. It is Remarkable to me that when the author of Hebrews talks about Abel's heroic faith, he underlines the reality that Abel leaves a legacy. Abel, though dead, still speaks, speaks all the way into our day today. And so I have a question for you. We looked on Monday at the fact that we get stuck in the past and we get stuck in the future, but I wonder this. Do you ever wonder how the life you are living now, and in particular, where you are seeking significance in your life now, seeking to find to be significant, and how that causes you to live, is going to leave a legacy behind. Do you ever wonder, for example, what people are going to say at your funeral? Maybe like you, you've sat at a funeral, and I've sat at probably more than anybody in this room as a pastor for 20 years, but you sit there and you go, hmm, I wonder who will come to my funeral. I wonder what they'd say. What are they gonna remember about me? What will my legacy be? If you want to leave a good legacy, like scripture says Abel left, then I am going to commend to you to embrace the faith of Abel just like I did on Monday. What was the faith of Abel that led to the legacy he had? What was his legacy? Well, we're going to look at that in a moment, but you know, we've got to look at Cain first because Cain is the counterpoint. He provides the counterexample to Abel of this. There's a dynamic going on in Genesis chapter 4, and here's what the dynamic looks like, and I invite you to look at it. 
It is that Cain, like every single one of us, desires, hungers for significance. He strives to be significant in his life. But the way that Cain strives to be significant and judges his life to have significance leads him to live in certain ways that leave a bad legacy. Okay, let me say that again. I know that was a mouthful and I'll try and say it even simpler if I can. Cain, like all of us, desires to live a life of significance. He strives to be significant in his life, but the way that he strives to be significant causes him to live in a way that leads to a bad legacy. He leaves a bad taste in the world behind, as we see in the text. I'm gonna mention two ways that Cain strives to be significant and how this then, what legacy this produces in the world. Only two ways. And the reason I'm going to emphasize these two is because you know what? We may think we're more like Abel than we are like Cain, but look at the amount of space that the author of Genesis gives to talking about Cain. Why do you think that is? It's probably because more often than not, we can identify with the spirit of Cain than we can with the spirit of Abel, and we have to fight this temptation within us to find significance in the way that Cain does. How did he do it? First, Cain sought significance by living in the mode of comparison. By living in the mode of comparison, or we might say the mode of competition. In order to feel himself valuable, in order to feel himself as somebody and have significance in the world, Cain had to be better than Abel. I am fine as long as I'm better than that one close to me. When he feels, when he discovers that Abel's sacrifice is better than his, he can't tolerate it. Somehow Abel's shining and radiating with glory and being better than him tarnishes the way Cain looks at himself. And so he's got to get rid of Abel. He's got to snuff him out, get rid of him out of his life. And that's precisely what he does. Can you identify with this in your own life? If you have trouble identifying with this, let me just say, why is it? Say, if you are a center basketball player and you're really good, why is it that when another center comes onto your team and who's better than you, why do you feel a sense of threat? Or for those of you who are musicians, why is it that when a musician who plays the same instrument you do comes near to you, near like a brother, that you feel a sense of threat. Or wherever it is that you tend to find your value when somebody else comes into the picture who is better at that thing you find value in, you tend to feel a sense of threat. It is because the default of the human heart in terms of significance is to find significance and feel valuable as long as then I'm better than those who are around me. But they need to be one close to us. But look at what it produces in the world. First of all, Cain is the first murderer. The envy in him requires him to snuff out the life of Abel. But then as generations come and go, Abel produces ultimately a legacy of violence and misogyny. Because his great-grandson, Lamech, he too lives in the mode of comparison. He too only has significance if he's better and more powerful than other people. And so women are instrumentalized for him. He's going to have more wives and he's therefore going to have more children and more social immortality than his peers. 
He lives in the mode of comparison. And when it comes to justice, he's even gonna outdo the justice of God. This is why I read the long passage. Because where God will um, be sevenfold in his justice, Lamech is going to be 77-fold. He's gonna go way beyond God. He lives in the mode of comparison. Cain's legacy, by living in the mode of comparison, is a legacy of violence and misogyny. I don't think we wanna leave that legacy behind. The second mode that Cain lives in and that we can be tempted to live in too is the mode of success, right? That we will find ourselves valuable and to be a somebody and have significance as long as we can succeed in outward external ways and hopefully in ways that will show up well on our CV, on our resume. Cain is approached by God and God says, you're gonna be a restless wanderer on the earth It's God's remedial action in Cain's life so Cain will learn dependence upon God. Cain resists the grace of God and what does he go do instead in order to find his significance in the world? Well, he goes off, we are told, and he begins building a city, the first city in the world. Now that is an achievement. What a monument to the self. Unbelievable, right? And then he's got children too who go and live in the city with all the gifts, with all the arts and with all the crafts and all the sciences and the animal husbandry. But they too are shielding themselves. The theology of the city, as a French theologian called Jacques Ellul says, the cities of man are places that we go where we can hide from God. Because we don't need God in the city. We have our safety. We have our significance. We have all of the pleasures we need. It's like my niece said to me one time. I said, hey, why aren't you guys going to church anymore? Your family. She said, Uncle Ed, because we have no need for God. We've got everything that we need. And indeed, if we are too successful, it can become a curse because we no longer feel a need for God. But if we're made for relationship with God, then this is a great travesty to leave behind for the generations that follow who don't have faith. And so I want to commend to you in the next couple of minutes, the faith of Abel and the legacy that he leaves behind. So the question for us is what mode does Abel live in when it comes to his search for significance? In what does Abel find his significance? It is this. Doesn't sound sexy, but trust me, it is. In living a faithful life. Abel says, I am going to have lived a significant life simply if I respond faithfully to the revelation of God that is before me, insofar as I have learned about God. You see, the author of Hebrews says Abel was righteous. And we see in Genesis chapter four that it says about Cain, what? Cain did not do what was right. Abel seeks to live in right relationship with God, right relationship with his neighbor, right relationship with the world, right relationship with himself insofar as he can do so. It is to respond faithfully to the revelation that God has given us in this world. He desires to find significance simply in being faithful to God. And what does it, where does it lead Abel? Well, it leaves Abel as we read in Hebrews. By faith, Abel still speaks, though he's dead. Abel, the legacy of Abel is this. Abel leaves a word. He leaves a witness. He leaves a testament to the world. What word, what witness, what testament we will see? 
we will say, well, it is the deepest, I believe, and the most profound cry of the human heart. He leaves a cry. You see, Abel, though dead, still speaks. But then in Genesis, we read that God says to Cain, Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And God says, are you kidding me? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And the question we need to ask is, what does it cry? Well, on the basis of all of scripture, we know what the blood of the martyrs cry. What does it cry? It cries for justice. Those who are trampled underfoot in scripture, the oppressed, it's a cry for justice. Oh God, give back to those who have murdered what they have given. Those who have taken life, take their life away. We read in the prophets, give back double to those who have done. And certainly we can see Abel's blood is crying out for justice. Oh, but then, is that the only cry of the human heart? No, and I believe here we come to a difficulty because in the Genesis text, there is very good reason to believe, I can't wear my exegetical underpants in the pulpit this morning, but there's very good reason to believe that Abel's blood cries for something other than justice as well. He cries for two things. He cries for justice, but it's his brother. His brother. He cries for forgiveness. Why is it that God doesn't pay Cain back? Why is it that God puts a mark on Cain so that nobody will take his life? Why is it that the grace of God is extended into Cain's life? Could it be, is it possible that Abel's blood is not only crying out for justice, but it's crying out for forgiveness? As Jesus said on the cross, Lord, forgive, they know not what they do. I believe Yes, that Abel's blood, certainly on the context of all of scripture, is crying out for exactly this. It's showing the deepest cry of the human heart, but that cannot be resolved. We cry out for justice at the wrongdoing of the world, and that is the right Christian response to do. It will lead to the right kind of legacy. We are never to become settled with the evil that goes on in this world and not call it out. But at the same time, we desire forgiveness. We desire reconciliation with the brother. We desire restoration for those who have fallen like we have. And so ultimately, and I've got to get to the point here, Abel's blood cries out for Christ so that this contradiction in our soul, this deep cry of our soul that doesn't sit together and won't fit together can be resolved. Abel's blood cries out for the better blood of Christ as Hebrews will say in chapter 12. And what is the better blood of Christ? It is the resolution of the deepest cry of the human heart because he satisfies justice on the one hand in the cross of Christ through his blood and he satisfies the desire for forgiveness, God's desire for forgiveness. Wouldn't that be a wonderful legacy to leave behind? That your life would be a testament to God's heart for justice, yes, but also God's heart for forgiveness. In other words, to have a life that is a testament to the gospel. You know what it means? It means that you, have, you will have lived a life of eternal significance because it will make an eternal difference in other people's lives. Now that's not a bad legacy to leave at my funeral. I hope people will say his life was a testament to both the justice and the forgiveness of God as it was resolved on the cross of Christ. May he be glorified. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.